Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, it's Fiona here for sitting in for PJ today. How are you all? Did you have a lovely weekend? It was a busy weekend in Cork. We had a number of different events that were happening around the city. Um, on Saturday, of course, we had that massive protest in the city, the cost of living protest. And if anybody was in and around that and they'd like to get in touch and let us know um, what it was like, they can always contact us here on the Opinion Line. I was reading this morning that around 3,000 people were in attendance and we were speaking to some people in the the lead up to that protest and we had imagined that it would be a large uh, gathering. A lot of people were very, very angry at the rising cost of living and they had their voices um, heard on Saturday. Also yesterday um, there were 3,000 women and men taking part in the mini marathon. Um, I was there myself for that. I was taking part in it and it was an absolutely fantastic event. There was a great atmosphere and um, yeah, 3,000 winners. I was reading in the Echo this morning that um, a new record was set uh, for 20 minutes to complete the six the six kilometre race and that was set by uh, Sinead O'Connor so well done to her and well done to everyone who took part and a huge amount of money was raised for various different charities and it was great to see so many colourful t-shirts there yesterday for representing all the different charities so well done to everybody who took part now, of course, the big news today is um, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. We have been watching for the last couple of weeks, about, uh, especially over the last week where she was lying in state and thousands and thousands and thousands of people queued to walk past her coffin. Now, joining me to tell me about what's happening today is Brenda Dennehy, who used to work here in 96FM, but she's now a reporter for the online Daily Mail. Good morning, Brenda. 
Hi Fiona, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Welcome to the Opinion Line, Brenda. It's lovely to hear your voice today. Me um, too. Brenda, you know, as I said there in the introduction, we have seen so many thousands of people queuing up to walk past the Queen's Coffin and I believe that some of that, that queue was still going this morning, was it? Yeah, it was still going at half six was the last person got through to see the Queen lying in state and I think it was up to 400 or up to 500,000 people who actually eventually got in to see her. Wow. Um, I was actually went down on, like the queue, the queue had a, a kind of, it was an entity of itself. I actually went down on Saturday just mm. to see the queue and I wasn't queuing myself, but like there was this fascination with the queue. Mm. So I actually went down as far as Westminster and then I went down um, South Bank and I just kind of viewed people in it. And like, from what I could see, there was a great sense of camaraderie between people. People were making friends. I think mm. there's actually a love story. Oh, wow. With, um, two people made out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's yeah, it's kind of, it's been a strange couple of days, but... Um, yeah, like I saw on one of your Instagram posts yesterday that you were saying that there was a very like even though there was a really great sense of camaraderie in the queue and stuff, but that there was a a, a somber kind of an atmosphere around all of London. Yeah, it's kind of this morning. Now I kind of picked up. I'm like, it's a, was it a bit intense? Mm. Not intense in kind of a way that you would be frightened, but it's kind of like even when I was walking to work I live I work on High Street Kensington and I live in West Kensington but every corner I took there was a police officer mm. and as well where I was walking up as well Cromwell Road actually she's going to be out there in the hearse because that's why she's going out there she's not on the hearse going out to Windsor they're not taking motorways or anything like that right. so obviously there was a big massive security around where I'm so I found it this morning walking in was intense but however um, my friend, she just messaged me there a while ago. She's outside Buckingham Palace and she said like there's actually a good buzz down there and mm. you know there's people are very respectful, people are very patient. It's much different um down there. But I suppose somber it's kind of it's 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 like organized chaos or something, if I could describe yeah. it that way. Yeah. So And what like you know, you were saying there about four hundred thousand people queuing up to walk past the coffin. What kind of numbers are they expecting today? Because I was reading this morning that some people actually camped out overnight to get a spot outside uh, Windsor Hall. Yeah, I think there's meant to be over one million people who are coming into London itself just to be here for the event, aside from like the what? 12 million people who are here already so mm. there's people flying in from all around the world just to be here as well on today so I actually a girl I work with as well her parents um, actually live in Scotland so they flew down yesterday to come down first and yeah there's like it's it's I suppose Fiona it's like an event that none of us have ever seen I mean I'd say back in World War Two, like all these leaders we've never seen mm. like such security and all of these world leaders in the one place at one time not in my lifetime anyway I don't think in your lifetime either no. so I think that's it's just so significant and it's so huge and I think I spoke to people like oh where are they, why is everyone else talking about it you know it's the Queen of the United Kingdom and all this kind of stuff but I think that's it it's just all the world leaders are here and the attention it's brought and when you so, mentioned yeah, world leaders there of course Ireland is represented by the Taoiseach and the President Michael D Higgins but I was listening on, like, when I was coming in in the car this morning and somebody was talking about the seating arrangements for all the world leaders and it's going to cause a headache because they need to prioritise people and they were trying to kind of uh, uh, you know organise it in such a way that everybody 
everybody gets um, a good seat. But yeah. I, I suppose the whole organisation of this event has been absolutely massive. And it's something that people have been, pre- been preparing for. It's not just, um, you know, a, 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 an organisation plan that kicked into effect in the last few days. This has been planned for a long time. Yeah, for years. I know that the Queen had organised everything. She knew everything she wanted mm. for a funeral. So I even know I work with some people who work in television. And like the last couple of years, I've been told they've been kind of, you know, doing presentations as if she's died, you know. So they'll mm. kind of, you know, they have the scripts written and all that kind of stuff, obviously just changing dates. Yeah. So it's been planned for years. So I suppose that's why I kind of said organised chaos. Like everything is seems to be going to plan so much. Obviously, there's been a few protests here or there. Mm. But everything around here, it seems very calm, but intense at the same time. But I even just nipped out there, went downstairs just to go on High Street, Kensington, nipped out of the office just to check. And our street is completely closed off now. And I know all around central London is completely closed off but there's police every single I mean that out every single corner you go when I passed this morning there was police from Lancashire and Greater Manchester brought down I passed them so there's police forces from everywhere around the country being brought in and Brenda what's the plan for the day then uh, like what what's the the kind of the time for everything that's happening what's actually going to be happening for the day so I think around 10.44 now they're very into their times here 10.44 yeah. the coffin it's going to be drawn by a state-owned carriage to Westminster Abbey and also followed by the British Royals. And then George and um, Charlotte, uh, William and Kate, Prince William and Princess Kate's children are actually going now, little Louis. And so that was decision was made overnight. Because right. obviously George after Prince William is will be the next in line to the throne. And then the service is beginning in Westminster Abbey at 11. And then I think it's like... At 11.55, there's two minutes silence. Um, no, Big Ben last night didn't chime at 8 o'clock. There was a minute silence, but Big Ben didn't chime. So I hope, mm. I think they were trying to amend that that doesn't happen today. And then there's British Anthem after that. And then I think around quarter past 12, procession leaves and passes Buckingham Palace and rolls on to the Wellington Arch. And then I think it's then the kind of into the hearse and then all through London. I said not any motorways or anything like that. They're even passing Heathrow Airport and she'll be buried in Windsor with, I don't think she's actually getting buried. Mm. That's where her resting place will be with um, the Duke of Edinburgh. And as you mentioned there about passing through Heathrow or passing past passing by Heathrow Airport that a lot of the flights won't even be running at that time that they've been delayed just so that there will be silence when she's being brought past. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a lot of places as well. They're kind of closing for the funeral as it is, and then they're reopening. But then an awful lot of places are closed as it is. We'll say, I think, like Tesco's closed for the day, Aldi's closed for the day. Mm. Um, pubs are open, obviously, so you can go and watch it in the pub. Expect the pubs to be packed. View cinemas are actually showing the funeral in the big for anyone who wants to. And I think it's free as well for anyone who wants to see it. Mm. And Hyde Park as well. They have, I think, four big massive screens. Yeah. So that's it's going to be packed as well. And like I think they're expecting over 4 billion to watch it anyway on TV. And then I think here, I think over 20 million expected to watch it live on TV as well. 
It's 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 an amazing number, isn't it? It's yeah. huge, as you say. It's huge. such a huge event, and um, we we know that she's going to be interred at the uh, late medieval Saint George's Chapel in Windsor Castle, and ten other monarchs lie buried there. So that's just a bit of uh, yeah. uh, trivia there for people who are interested. Brenda, um, it must be amazing for you to be working at such an event like this. I mean, you were saying there that you've never seen anything like this in your lifetime, and to be over there covering it now must be great. Yeah, um, I suppose when the day that we should be on the 8th of September, we kind of got the news, you know, that she was unwell and mm. I can't, like the kind of the atmosphere in the office was like, I can't, it was I, even like I'm Irish, like I'm, I, I kind of felt, I don't know, was just, I can't explain it. It's very significant, like it's a moment I'll never forget. And then obviously, you know, it was around half six that day she passed away. And then I suppose over the last couple of days, it's, it's work has been very intense obviously covering mm-hmm. it and all that kind of stuff and it but it's been everywhere like every radio station I turn on I watch Sky News BBC News it's just everywhere but I don't think people have tired of it I no. think people are still people are they're like is that still on the front page of every newspaper but um, yeah it's just a huge event and I think like she was loved by so many like I think a lot of people would have noticed what Emmanuel Macron said you know you know she said she was the queen you know what I mean mm. He said his speech was really significant and I think reflected out through the world. I think, you know, a lot of people adored her and loved her. And I think that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people here don't even really understand because there was some criticism about the amount of time that she was lying in state and about things being shut down and the amount of coverage that it was getting. But Victoria Nichols here in our newsroom was telling me that her mum lives in Luton and she has been really, really upset and so have all of her relatives and friends because the Queen has been somebody who's just been there for their entire lifetime. So, you know, it really does mean an awful lot to so many people over in England. Yeah, an awful lot of people very uh, teary. Even friends of mine, my own age as well, mm. very upset over it. You know, very taken. As you said, like she's what well, she was reigning for over seventy years. Mm. So for some people, it's all they kind of knew. So I think that's why the impact of it. That's what it is. And I, will we ever see the likes of it again? I don't know. Brenda, you obviously have a really busy day ahead of you today. So thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us on the opinion line this morning. And it's lovely to hear you back on uh, the Cork Airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for asking me. Keep up the great work. You too. That's Brenda Dennehy working now with the online Daily Mail. And um, as she said there, um, it will all be televised across the day. So I'm sure many, many people will be watching that over the over the day. And um, Queen Elizabeth will be interred at the late medieval St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle later on this afternoon. Eugene says, I haven't heard any comment from or about the Pope during all the Queen's coverage. Uh, well, Eugene, we are um, told that a Liverpool-born a Liverpool priest is to represent the Pope at the funeral of the Queen. Um, the Vatican has said, and it says that Senior Vatican official Archbishop Paul Gallagher is flying from Rome to attend the Westminster Abbey service today. So um, you may not have heard it in a lot of the coverage, but um, they are saying sending over a representative from Rome to attend the Westminster Abbey service today. So thank you for getting in touch, Eugene. And if anybody else wants to get in touch about um, what I was chatting to Brenda about there, the number to ring is 0818 96 96 96, or you can text or WhatsApp 0833 96 96 96. And you may have some views on this next topic. Now, we were talking about the massive crowd that attended the cost of living protest in the city centre and 
the cost of living has been such a massive discussion for so many people and particularly at this time of the year when families are going back to school and you know the the cost of going back to school and one of the major costs is the uniforms and Sophia Byrne is one of a number of parents who have come together and who are putting together a campaign um, called the Fun, uh, the Cork campaign, and it's to try and um, get a generic uniform for all schools. And they have had correspondence with the Minister for Education on this. And Sophia joins me now to talk about it. Good morning, Sophia. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Sophia, the Cork campaign, um, you put the idea to Deputy Holly Kearns, who then asked the Minister for Education, the steps that she's taking to ensure that schools use generic uniforms to reduce the cost Mm. for families. Um, What was your reaction to what the Minister said about this? Well, I I thought it was quite interesting, Um, Fiona. First of all, um, it was great to see Holly supporting, which is um, fantastic always to get support um, from our, our local government and her um, focus is particularly around social justice. So I thought she might be a good person to, to look for support from. Mm. So she put the question in and basically the department came back and said, I think from 2017, they have a directive out to the schools to focus on reducing the cost of uniforms. And their recommendation was to all of the schools to use generic uniforms and to just use the iron-on crests Mm. So that was their directive to schools. And what I thought was interesting was, I don't know about anybody else, and this is why I was really reaching out to you guys, was I haven't seen much communication from schools to the parents Mm. based on that directive from the Department of Education to say, okay, we've been asked to look at generic uniforms. Let's move in that direction. Because I believe the directive went out in 2017. And... um, I just haven't seen a move there. And my question is kind of, if not, why not? Yeah, I mean, if um, anybody out there um, has had a communication like that from their school, they might ring us and let us know and uh, come on and tell us about it. 0818969696 or you can text or WhatsApp 0833969696 because I have two children in school, Sophia, and I know we didn't get that communication and there are crests on the both the uniform and the tracksuits and it's a massive of cost for parents going back. Um, I know myself. <laughs> it is <laughs> it out there. Absolutely, last month. And, and my son is is there as well. And I just thought, um, Fiona, with the um, parents' AGMs are coming up now in a lot of schools. You know, for the beginning of the year, mm. and I thought it'd be a good question if the parents are going to the AGMs to basically say what is the school policy on this. And why hadn't they been reached out to? Obviously, it's too late now because we've all gone and bought the uniforms again um, for this year. But why haven't they, the schools reached out and changed their policy um, based on the Department of Education saying this is what they want them to do? You know, a little thing that I was a bit uncomfortable with was, you know, the part the department really kind of doing nearly a handover Mm. of accountability to the schools and saying, look, we told them. Now, slightly, it's their problem or it's your problem to work with them. So it's nearly like we've done our job. If the schools aren't doing it, it's it's not up to us. So, so do you think you that know, rather than I, sending out a circular to all schools, that they should make this like mandatory that all schools have to do this? I would go in that direction because, mm. you know, particularly if you're looking at the department, you know, you put out a directive, you ask the schools to do it. I would give them a time frame to actually do the, the um, action that they're being asked and then say, OK, they're not doing it right. We're going to have to put our foot down. So in other words, you know, give it an opportunity to the schools to run their own policies and everything else. But if they don't do it, basically, you know, 
put the foot down because it, it's nice sending out memos to schools and saying we think you should do this and we think you should do that. But really the ask is, you know, is left to the schools and to the local boards of management. And it really is something, you know, and the reason I just jumped on it was it just seems so silly with the pressures that are on everybody mm. at the moment with the cost of living. I said, here's another thing that makes absolutely no sense. And I know in the scheme of things with the, the 150 price rises that we're seeing at the moment mm. that um, it's not going to save the day. But I just believe we have to take everything chunk by chunk and basically look at it and say, does this make sense or not? And it's a great, um, you know, campaign to bring schools together and for kids to see sensible use of money um, Mm. when money is tight, because that's a good learning skill for them as well. You know, you set up the Cork campaign and you're hoping that it could be replicated nationwide. Just tell me about the Cork campaign. Have you had many people who are interested in it? Well, um, yeah, so it was really just an idea and I was going to to 96FM to kind of put it out there in terms of a a concept. Um, To be honest, Fiona, it was a little bit late Mm. um, and the challenge with it was um, that the schools were on summer holidays. So it's very little difficult to get contact with the schools so they can communicate um, back to their, you know, their communities or whatever. The second piece is um, with the campaign that we were trying to do was to reach out to the various retail outlets to say, look, if this was a local court campaign, you know, the Duns and the Pennies and all the various yeah. um, brands where we get the generic uniforms, would you guys jump on board and give another, you know, 10% or whatever off? Because at the end of the day, they'd be getting more volume sales. Mm-hmm. through this campaign because people wouldn't be going and buying the uniforms. We got a few funny comments back just in terms of, well, what about the poor people selling the very expensive school uniforms? Yeah. Um, you know, and you're going to be doing them out of business. And, you know, I just, and I empathise, I empathise with everybody at the moment, but I think we just have to look at the greater good. Mm. Um, so to be honest, um, I was hoping 96FM and, you know, would slightly kind of jump on board to kind of help drive, but it was a little bit late. Well, I so suppose this it's was too late, route. Sophia, for this year, but it's certainly not too late for next year. And if you've got the campaign going now, then hopefully by next year, by the time everybody has to buy the uniforms, that, you know, there'll be a lot more people on board. That's that's really the thought. And, you know, in reaching out to to um, the government and, and Holly, et cetera, it just wants to see what the position was. So now at least all the parents know going into their schools or going into their AGMs that there is a directive from the Department of Education to mm. move to generic uniforms. And they can ask the question and say, look, why aren't we doing this? Can we get ourselves organized for next year and hopefully just bring a kind of a consolidated conversation up instead of one or two schools looking at it, try and get it um, across Cork. Um, so that was really the effort, uh, Fiona, so far. Yeah, well, it's a great idea. And if anybody um, would like to support it, they can let us know here and, you know, let us know what you think. Would you prefer to have just a generic uniform that you could sew on or iron on a crest? Or do you like the crested uniform? You can let us know on 0818969696 or 083. 083- Three ninety six ninety six ninety six. So, Sophia, where are you going to go with this now? Are you finished with the campaign? Are you just waiting to see if people come back to you? Are you going to keep I'd pressing the government? Yeah, no, I'm going to um, do a bit more pressing of the government just to see if they can keep um, raising it up. And then secondly, just if anybody is um, would bring it up in their schools and get some feedback, I'm really looking to, to use you guys to reach mm-hmm. out to the parents and the schools to get some feedback to see if there's any momentum or interest out there. Okay. Um, which is the main piece, but absolutely, no, it's something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Um, because it, 
it it has a big it has a big impact um, on parents. And as I say, sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming when you see all of these increasing bills coming at you. And it's great to feel even if you could do something to impact one of those. Maria just texted me there to say she doesn't mind the crested uniforms so long as they're affordable. So if a school was insisting on having a crested uniform, maybe they could consider bringing the price down and that would make it more affordable for parents. That, that's it. And or, um, you know, it's always the interesting conversation, the hand-me-downs. Yeah. I mean, I definitely grew up with, you know, probably three or four hand-me-down layers before mm-hmm. it hit me, you know, to wear as kids. And I think it's something that isn't done as much or isn't organised yeah. as much. But but school uniforms, I know people do and, and kids do run through them and there's holes and everything, particularly with boys and yeah. stuff like that. But if schools could just organise, if they are going to stay with the crested, that there's a kind of an end of year sale. Yeah. of uniforms or whatever at a reduced cost and just be a little bit more creative, you know. It's a good idea that actually and I, I think it is brought in my um, my little girl started school there in September and um, I know that I was talking to one of the parents and she went over to a sale that the school had um, and it's a great idea yeah. because even if you have like I have a boy and a girl so when he grows out of his uniform um, you know I'm not passing it on to anybody unless a friend wants it so um, you know exactly. And, you know and when the, the things that don't have holes in them um, you know it's a shame to throw them out so you know you want to pass them on to somebody else so yeah great idea absolutely it's just little things really like in, and just being able to, to impact small things and take them one by one and see what we can do and just make sure any money that we are spending is being spent sensibly do you know what I mean yeah um, absolutely. so that's really just the thought behind it so I'll keep it going I'll keep you and PJ um, updated and uh, yeah. see what we can do Great, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Sophia, yeah, for bringing well. that to our attention. And let us know what you think. Are you in favour of the generic or of the generic uniform with the crest? You know, if you had the the if you bought the crest separately and then you can um, sew it on or iron it on, or do you like the crested uniform? Do you think that Sophia's plan is good, or are you part of a school that um, has been having that conversation with parents? Let us know here on oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six or oh eight three three. 96, 96, 96. Kate says there's a lot of snobbery around uniforms. Some parents and some staff just like the idea of having a crest and they do. And that's why I was asking the question, Kate, do some parents like the idea? Um, But maybe as Maria was saying there, it could be more affordable and they could bring the cost down. Let us know anyway what you think. Uh, 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. And if you have a new smartphone or tablet, then you can always download the Cork's 96FM app now and listen to your favourite shows on the go. And if you have a smart speaker, remember you can ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM is the home of even more music choice streaming online all the time. We've got the Fit Mix and that plays the best tunes for your workout. And then there's the Cork's 96FM Hit Mix, which brings you the freshest new music non-stop. You can listen on your phone app, play us on your smart speaker or go to 96FM.ie. We were speaking there to Sophia about the crested uniforms and we've had a text message in to say I received a letter from the school back when this was first brought up saying how detrimental to the school it would be if they didn't have a crest on their uniform. They are part of the school family. It put a very negative spin on no generic uniforms. Schools are actively trying to stop this. And Thank you very much for that message, Mary. Um, and if there's any school out there listening and they would like to let us know why they're so in favour of the crest, they can let us know. And I think 
Um, as we got a comment there, it's not so much about the crest, it's about the cost. And maybe if they insisted on having a crest as uniform, maybe they could consider bringing down the cost and making it more affordable to parents. Uh, let us know what you think. 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. You can always email as well, opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, there was a survey brought out uh, recently that showed that many Irish people are in denial about their drinking habits, with a large share of binge drinkers not believing they're consuming dangerous levels of alcohol. Michael Guren of Brewery House Coonwira joins me now to talk about this. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Fiona. Michael, were you surprised by these findings that, um, you know, many Irish people are in denial about their drinking habits? Well, not really, Fiona, because I've always been of the belief that there has been a misunderstanding within the Irish community and the Irish population as to what harmful drinking constitutes. Mm. And there are, a lot, there are a lot of people out there who believe that there are simply two types of alcohol consumer. There is on the one hand a person who may be alcoholic or dependent on alcohol, and then there is a res- the, the responsible recreational drinkers on the other hand. But it's quite obvious and clear to us in the field that there are a third cohort of people in the middle who may not necessarily be drinking in an alcoholic manner, but they are most certainly drinking harmfully or drinking amounts that are causing harm to them. Um, so, and like, people, Michael, when you talk about that, when you talk about um, a harmful pattern or drink of drinking, like, are you talking about, like, what exactly are you talking about? Would it be, do you know, a lot of people mightn't drink during the week and then on a Friday night they might sit down and drink a bottle of wine or they might, um, you know, go out with their friends and, and you know, go bananas on a Saturday night. But, uh, like, is that considered harmful drinking? Well, the World Health Organization, I think it was, said that the, the limits for, for safe drinking are 10 units of alcohol for a woman and I think 15 per man per week on average. Hmm. Now, to put that in context, a unit is a glass of wine, a small measure of spirits or a half pint. And there are many out there, particularly amongst younger people, that are way exceeding those safe limits in one or two nights drinking at the weekend. So that's what we consider drinking in terms of quantity in terms of behaviour we're talking about drinking that causes severe intoxication and we're talking about you know individuals getting themselves into all sorts of bother mm. because of drink for example maybe a ha- an alcohol related admission to A&E or something like that and Michael, when you talk about 10 units of alcohol, would it be better for the body to space that out across the the week and have maybe a glass of wine every night? Or, you know, like if we're consuming all of those 10 uh, units plus uh, maybe a little bit more in one go on one night, like is that putting a huge amount of pressure on our body? Yes, and I suppose that's the other thing that maybe isn't gone into in the report, but it is nonetheless a fact that the incidence of alcohol-related liver disease in Ireland over the past decade has gone up by a great degree. The figure just doesn't come to my head at the moment, but it's particularly noticeable in those under 35 years old, which is indicative of a very harmful drinking pattern amongst that age group, because really and truly, people of that age shouldn't be suffering from liver disease at all. Mm. Um, So it's all very concerning, Fiona, and I've said this before, on the opinion line, and I'll say it again now, we often talk about illicit drugs like cocaine and heroin and so on, but alcohol does more harm to the Irish population 
than all of these illicit substances put together. Um, so it's something we need to treat very respectfully in terms of how much of it we drink, but also the manner in which we are drinking, because we have moved as a country from pub drinking very much to an off-licence situation mm. where drink is still very cheap in spite of minimum unit pricing controls, which were welcome. Um, and there is no portion control whatsoever. One of the worrying things about this survey that was carried out with the Health Research Board was that a lot of people don't even realise that they're drinking heavily and that one third of people who were dependent on alcohol describe themselves as light or moderate drinkers. So is it just because, um, you know, like is, is there a, a culture here in Ireland that uh, we don't realise that we're drinking dangerously? Oh, he's gone. Um, okay, we'll try and get him back there on the line and um, we'll go to an ad break first and we'll try and get Michael back on the line there. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. On the air every afternoon with your favourite tunes from the biggest names like these guys. My name is Harry. It's an absolute pleasure to be here performing for you tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. My name is Lizzo. I'm all about body positivity and self-love. If it's happening in Cork, I'm telling you about it. Always got the biggest giveaway. We actually bought a radio just to listen to you because we were always the storeroom and we no music. Basically, it's like having your best friend on the radio in the afternoon with loads of music. Let me show you what it's all about. Check it out. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4pm. With Sky VIP. At Sky, everyone's a VIP. Visit the VIP section of the My Sky app to discover your rewards. On Cork's 96FM. Hiya, Michael. Are you there? Are you back on the line? Yes, Fiona. Sorry about that. You're okay. You're okay. Um, we were just saying there about um, one of the findings of this survey was that um, a lot of people, one third of people who were dependent on alcohol described themselves as light or moderate drinkers. So a lot of people are not aware that their drinking is dangerous. Yes, and I suppose, Fiona, that speaks very much to the absence of, of good, clear messaging around alcohol consumption that's, that's being provided to people in terms of their alcohol use. We need to have a far stronger campaign informing people, particularly young people, as to what a, what a safe amount of drinking is on the one hand and the dangers of harmful drinking on the other. Okay, and do you think that this, um, like, would you be calling on the government then so to try and kind of um, change the, um, the, the advertising of alcohol? Well, yes, the advertising of alcohol is on the one hand, yes, but we have for many years needed a very strong public health campaign in terms of alcohol consumption in Ireland because sadly we live in a society now that equates enjoyment in some cohorts of the population with intoxication. Um, and that would be evident, as you and your listeners would know, if you went out and Cork late at night at the weekends or indeed in any city in Ireland mm. where you see people in all sorts of states because of overuse of alcohol particularly young people and, and adolescents. It might also work pointing out, Fiona, that the data which informed that survey is quite old at this stage. So there is a good possibility or figures in terms of alcohol consumption as a result of COVID and everything else could arguably be worse now than they were when the data was gathered for that survey. Okay. 
Okay, Michael, thank you for joining us on the opinion line this morning to talk about this. And if anybody is in agreement with Michael, they can let us know 0818969696. Do we need uh, um, uh, a national campaign to highlight the dangers of, of harmful drinking um, and to let people know what harmful drink, drinking actually is? Um, you can text or WhatsApp 0833969696. Now, if you've ever considered getting a tattoo but are either A, afraid to get it done or B, not really sure what you want to get done, um, you could be in with a chance now of uh, finding out uh, what you want and testing it out and you'll be doing it for a good cause because the Ink Collective, which is an all-female tattoo shop in Cork, are running um, for four consecutive Mondays across September. It's a flash uh, flash tattoo day and they're trying to raise money for Edel House. And joining me now to talk about it is Emma Barber and Kayleigh O'Reardon. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Um, so first of all, uh, a flash tattoo, uh, myself and Fergal were talking about this this morning. It's a, it's not a permanent tattoo, but it's not a henna tattoo either, is it? No, it's a permanent tattoo. It's just uh, specific designs that are um, created in, uh, created for a specific person, whether that be like a, a theme or like a season or in what we're doing like a charity so we have certain designs that are based off the charity so oh. you know Adele House is for women so we're doing it you know women kind of figures that represent self-love and um, kind of self-growth and things so okay. that's what that would be yeah okay yeah because Fergal did say that it was per- permanent and I was saying no 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 <laughs> it's not it's ter- <laughs> temporary so he was right um, yeah. so it is a permanent <laughs> it is a permanent tattoo that you're getting but it's um, as you say specific to this uh, charity and specific to the individual who's getting it it's not um, it's not a design that may be available for a lot of different people it's something that you design yourself yeah, it's it's basically a design that's only available for these like four specific Mondays. Um, so, you know, they won't be repeated ever again. It's just quite um, specific for this charity. And they're kind of, you know, an exclusive thing that, you know, once you get them, that, that'll be it. Then we'll never be repeating those designs again since it is for um, a cause. And the cause is Edel House. Why Edel House? Was there a reason why you picked that charity? Um, do you know what now actually um, my partner's sister used to work there and um, I just heard a lot of great things and she worked there for quite a couple of years and we just think as an all-female studio it's important that we try use the platform that we have to support other women who might be in need especially with the current like climate at the moment and the cost of living crisis mm. um, now the other charities that we will be doing work with in the future but for now we decided to maybe to start with you know since being an all-female studio that we would go for a kind of you know female orientated charity. Absolutely, it's brilliant. And Edel House, of course, is run by the Good Shepherd Cork and they do operate an emergency residential centre for women and children who've recently become homeless. Um, so, as you say, it's uh, very much in uh, demand at the minute, Edel House. I think it always has been, but um, more so yeah. now um, than ever. And uh, well done to you guys. So people come in and they get a flash tattoo and the money goes towards Edel House. Yeah, all the money actually goes to our Edel House, so 100% of what we make will be going strictly to them. And you started last week, is that right? Yeah, we did. We did start last week, um, so today is our second week of it. And do people have to have an appointment or can they just walk in? We are doing um, appointments just because there actually is quite a high like influx of people that want uh, to work with us mm-hmm. and get a tattoo with us. So we are doing appointments just to keep it um, as easy as possible. 
Okay. And you're doing it so for today and then there'll be another two as well. So if people can't get in today, then they have another two Mondays that they can do it. Yeah, exactly. It's a brilliant idea. Have you ever done anything like this before? Now, we actually did, um, we did something kind of similar um, last Christmas. We actually did, um, it was like a kind of a run for, so people would come in if you're getting a tattoo and you could like possibly leave um, something that would help Adele House. So, you know, like a little toy or, you know, new clothes or something like that. So we did do um, kind of like a present run last year um, for Adele House, but... Mm. And we did do um, breast cancer awareness flash day as well last year. But um, this one would be one of our kind of bigger, bigger charity runs now this time around. Fantastic. Well done. And how many of you are involved? Is it just the two of you? Yeah, it's just the two of us for now. But um, hopefully in the future when we are doing more of these, that the rest of the girls will be getting a little bit more involved. It's just um, mm. majority of the girls don't actually work Mondays. So we decided to trial it with the one with the Mondays that I, you know, myself and Emma would be here just to see how it would go. And, you know, it is picked off really well. So hopefully in the future now we'll get the whole studio on board and we'll be doing a lot more work and things. Are tattoos becoming way more popular, especially for women? Because it was a conversation I was having um, during the summertime. Obviously, we had an amazing summer and we were all down at the beach and myself and my friend were just commenting on the amount of tattoos that people have nowadays. Um, You know, are you seeing that in your studio? Are they becoming more popular? Oh, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Since we opened the doors, I feel like there's been such a high influx of like women getting tattoos, which is amazing to see because... I feel like it wasn't as much of a big thing as when I was growing up and mm. when I was doing an apprenticeship. So it really has blown up, which is amazing for us considering we are an all-women studio. So we definitely are meeting our demographic really well, which is amazing. You know, why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such a, an interest in them now? I think it was because of lockdown, really. You know, you had a lot of time to be looking online and, you know, you could go on Pinterest and kind of see things that you were interested in. And I feel like, you know, since there's a studio in town like ourselves that are quite an open studio and it's not the usual tattoo style it's a lot more airy and open and feminine looking that mm. it's a more of a comfortable space for women to come in and you know not be as scared of tattoos um so it's definitely kicked off that way I think and I think as well public perceptions of tattoos has changed as well because I know when oh, I was growing yeah. up like yeah it was like something that only like you wouldn't have seen a lot of women with them or they may have had them on their back where they would have been easily hidden but nowadays there's such an amazing designs and they're, they're you know that like uh, people just you know I think it's it's rather than being something that um, is looked down on it's actually something that's kind of praised Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's a form of self-expression, you know, like mm. you can walk around and have a beautiful piece of art that someone's designed for you on your body. So it's, yeah, it's not really something that's looked, looked down upon anymore. It's something that's embraced. And I feel like it's, you know, a beautiful thing that you can walk with someone's artwork on you. So yeah, no, it definitely has changed with times. Brilliant. So um, where are you? Where is, the, where is the studio if people want to come in? We're based on Langford Row, which is by the South Infirmary um, Hospital in Cork City. Okay, brilliant. And it's the Ink Collective. Yeah. Fantastic girls. Listen, thank you so much. It's great work that you're doing. And of course, as they said, um, all of the the proceeds from the Flash Tattoo Days go towards um, Edel House, which is an amazing charity here in Cork. So well done to the Ink Collective. That's Emma Barber and Kayleigh O'Reardon. Now, earlier this morning, we were talking about crested uniforms and um, we've had a number of people getting in touch with us. Val says St. Anthony's and Ballinlock have said you can use generic parts of the uniform 
uniform. So is that, um, you know, you can buy maybe the pants and the shirt in uh, Dunn's or Tesco, but then you just buy the jumper in, um, you know, with the crest on it, which is a good idea. I think a lot of schools do that. Samantha says, Bowman's Boys School in Black Rock, you can get the crest for your own jumper and is told, sold to you uniform only, not tracksuit. Kilworth National School can wear generic uniform or tracksuit. No no crest is requested. Thank you for that, Samantha. Um, and Kevin has been in touch to say it's not just a cork thing. My youngest is in Leaving Cert in Limerick and the uniform has not changed once. The skirt is 65 euro, the jumper is 50 euro, the shoes are 90 euro or 60 euro depending on what one you go for. The coat is 50 euro, only available in two shops. Nothing has changed in 10 years from when the oldest went there on her first day. Unless it's mandated, schools won't bother. They have enough problems trying to figure out how to pay the heating and electric bills. Thanks for that, Kevin. That's like I've seen that in some places, but um, whatever about the crested uniform, a jumper and a coat is just putting a whole different <laughs> expense on parents. So um, a lot of comments coming in about the conversation we had with Sophia earlier about the crested uniform and, you know, she was saying, why can't schools have a generic uniform and sew on the, the crest, or the parents could sew on the logo or the crest. Um, and we were asking people, what do you think? Do you agree with this? Tracy has been in touch to say, Fiona, why can't they just have one comfortable uniform for all the schools? A comfortable uniform, take away the woolen jumpers altogether. Kids hate the uniform and love their tracksuits. Even the guards have got a more comfortable uniform for themselves. And you're so right, Tracy. I see it there with my own children. They have the uniform with the jumper and, um, you know, the pants or the dress and the shirt and the tie. And then they have the, the tracksuit as well. And they might only wear the tracksuit one or two days a week. And they love tracksuit days. They, um, you know, they're so much more comfortable. And, you know, it's, it is an expense on parents having to buy both. So I totally get where you're coming from on that. Um, and as I, I was reading an article there uh, about two weeks ago, somebody was saying about the, the uniforms with the ties, like you're putting a five-year-old and a six-year-old in a shirt and a tie and it just doesn't it just doesn't look right and it doesn't look comfortable um, so if anybody else agrees with that you can let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 Paul says if you buy generic you can get the logo embroidered most the most costly part of the embroidery is the setup of the logo but once the company has it it's no more than five euros to have it embroidered in I get the workwear done all the time that's actually really good to know Paul um, so it's the, the logo that costs the money so if um, um, yeah that's great thanks thanks very much for that and if anybody else wants to get in touch with us they can 0818 96 96 96 0833 96 96 96 um, we were talking about school uniforms earlier Marie has been in touch to say I find with the jumpers the money is in the quality otherwise I would have bought three generic jumpers throughout the year and that is true Marie um, I do find that myself that the quality of the jumpers is really really good um, you know but I think it's the rest of the uniform as well um, you know some uniforms you can get the, the pants and the shirt in other places but some uniforms have the crest on everything they have it on the, the dress they have it on the polo shirt they have it on the tracksuit and after a while it's all the money um, building up and it's just a very expensive time for parents um, if anybody else would like to get in touch with us on that um, discussion or anything that we've been talking about so far on the show this morning it's 0818 96 96 96 
96 the number to ring or you can text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 Now the budget will be announced next Tuesday the 27th of September and a lot of people are putting their pre-budget submissions together um, including Spinal Injuries Ireland and they're calling on the government to extend permanent medical cards to anyone living with a spinal cord injury and joining me now is Chief Executive Officer of Spinal Injuries Ireland Fiona Bulger. Good morning Fiona. Good morning, Fiona. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome, Fiona. I was actually really surprised to hear that people with a spinal cord injury are not entitled to a medical card. Um, You know, why is that? What's the the situation with this? Well, first of all, for your listeners who, who don't really know what a spinal cord injury is, it's acknowledged by the World Health Organization as one of the most devastating and life changing injuries that a person can sustain. Mm. So, but with the right supports and services, people can fo- live a fulfilled life post injury. Um, so, it it and and it has huge impacts on people's lives, just in terms of their own personal care, you know, pain, um, mental distress, and uh, it's 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 a lifelong condition without a shadow of a doubt, and. Um, so it's not it's not on the list of uh, long term illnesses, mm. and uh, we've been lobbying for for quite a while now uh, for it to be added uh, and to and be acknowledged as a long term. I mean, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. I think it possibly goes back, um, you know, previously. I think the Department of Health were of the understanding that uh, people with a spinal cord injury would have have had major legal claims because it would have been, you know, due to an accident or something like that. Right. But in fact, all the research is out there now. There are three new injuries every week um, in Ireland. And with an ageing population, you know, we're seeing an awful lot of cancerous tumours on the spine or spinal mm. stroke or equina syndrome, which causes a spinal cord injury. So they're, they're non-traumatic. And then people are, are left where they really need a medical card in order to access the local community services and physiotherapy. And they're left and they can't afford to do it. And we know one of the consequences is that people are employed, 80% of people are employed prior to injury. Mm. And after injury, there's only 50% employed because people are afraid to work because they're means tested for their medical card. And they might not even be in a position where they can work. Um, well, exactly. But um, that, is, that is true. But, you know, people do generally, we're, we're actually doing a, a roadshow around the country at the moment. And in mm. fact, we're in the Silver Springs tomorrow evening at 630 and that's one thing that's coming up is that people want to work and they want to contribute to society. And they, you know, even if it's on a part time basis or but they're afraid to do anything because uh, they're afraid their medical cards will be taken from them. So it's a really unfair scenario. If you sustain an injury, you actually get an emergency card. Right. You have your emergency card for about six months. Okay. Then your means tested. Like a spinal cord injury has an impact on the whole family, not just the person who sustains it, because obviously people's roles within the family have to change completely. Mm. And and it can also have an impact on, you know, the, the working lives of a partner or, you know, uh, a mother or a father who may have to give up their jobs to, to support the person with the injury. 
and then after out, that, sorry, sorry, you guys brought out um, a survey there that showed that twenty five percent of the two thousand two hundred people in Ireland living with a spinal cord injury are actually living below the poverty line. That's correct. Yes, and that that is as a result of people, you know, not working and and not mm. being able to function and have full lives uh, because of their fear of, of of losing their medical cards. And I mean, like, that's just, it's particularly now with the whole cost of living going up and we're hearing about the cost of living crisis so much, like, people must be just really, really worried. Well, that's the other thing that we're, we're hearing as we go around the country is people, and especially people who have power wheelchairs, mm. you know, and they're listening to things about power cuts and there's an awful lot of fear out there. Um, and, you know, people have, have enough to, to cope with without having to worry about their basic needs in life. And and that's that's why we're calling on government um, to acknowledge a spinal cord injury as a long-term illness and to give medical cards to people based on needs and not means. Yeah, I mean, like when you say it like that, it just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because some people it might does, need, yeah. um, you know, as you were saying there at the start, there's a lot of treatments that will, people will need um, and some people may need more than others. Exactly, exactly. Well, there are really no two injuries are actually the same. <laughs> you, yeah. It's um, people's needs are different and also, you know, their social family backgrounds are different. So, um, but, but you know, our experience, I mean, I know one young lady who um, she's working, she's paying her mortgage, she's working full time. She has a medical card, but she lives in fear of losing her medical card because she says she wouldn't be able to pay for all her medical needs if she loses her medical card and pay for her mortgage and continue to work. And so she ends up stockpiling catheters and all sorts of equipment when it, com- when it comes to her medical card being reviewed so that she has something to get her by for a few months. Right. And like, that's no way to live. Absolutely not. And we are going to be speaking to a Spinal Injuries Ireland service user in a few minutes and he's going to tell us what it's like to, to be living with this with this injury and, you know, that fear that, that people have. Um, so you were saying, Fiona, that you're, you're in Cork tomorrow at the Silver Springs Hotel. That's correct, yes. We're at 6.30 tomorrow evening. And uh, so we've invited service users, we've invited local TDs and councillors um, and obviously the, the media, just to, to try and create awareness uh, for the fact that people aren't entitled to a medical card. I mean, there are other elements in our pre-budget submission, but the medical cards being the most important, it's it's the the one single item that would really mm. change people's lives. Um, obviously, we're looking for investment in rehabilitation as well um, in Ireland, so mm. that, that, you know, to reduce down the waiting list. Okay. Yeah, the waiting lists, um, you know, I mean, that's another crisis, isn't it, in this country, the waiting list? What's the waiting list like for the spinal injuries? Is that, are, are they yeah, really well, it's, well, look, it's it's a little bit, and, and you'd be very familiar, Fiona, with discussions going on mm. and, on hospitals closing because they're non-specialised care and spinal cord injury is, you know, one area where it is very, very specialised and people need specialised care. So what happens at the moment, if you sustain an injury anywhere in the country and you need surgery, you're transferred to the National Spinal Unit in the Matter Hospital. Mm-hmm. You'll have your surgery there. Um, if there's a wait, if there's a, a wait for a bed in the National Rehabilitation Hospital, you'll be sent back to the hospital you're referred to 
referred from. Mm. So, for example, if you're in Cork, you'd be referred from CUH. You'd have your surgery in the matter. You'd be sent back to CUH. You could be waiting there for a couple of months on a bed in the NRH. Um, there's, you know, and, and there's limited specialised care there. Mm. And then people go and they, they tend to have sort of, you know, eight to 12 weeks then in the NRH uh, before being discharged. So, and that's that's where we come in is, is to support people in the community and we provide a one-to-one support then when people are discharged. Well, you're doing fantastic work, Fiona, and I really hope that the government listen um, when you submit your pre-budget submission and, you know, as you say, provide the medical card for people based on their needs rather than their means. It just doesn't make any sense at all. That's Fiona Bulger, the CEO no. of Spinal Injuries Ireland. Thank, thank you, Fiona. Thank you, and thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. And as I said, we are going to be speaking to a service user in a few minutes, but just if anybody has suffered a spinal in- cord injury or if any in their family has and they'd like to um, support that um, pre-budget submission that the Spinal Injuries Ireland are putting to the government ahead of next Tuesday's budget they can go to the Silver Springs Hotel tomorrow evening at half six and um, as Fiona was saying there, they will be speaking to people and they'll be speaking to some public representatives as well and trying to sort that situation out for people as she said, an awful lot of people worried about the situation in Ireland at the minute Um, and I'm sure um, a lot of people will be attending that meeting tomorrow evening Um, as we, she was saying there that, that it affects one in was it like that three people sustain a devastating spinal cord injury every week in Ireland, which is a, a huge number of people, really. And Richard Murray, is he's been using the services of Spinal Injuries Ireland. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. Um, thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning, Richard. Now, Richard, how long have you been using the Spinal Injuries Ireland? Um, so uh, I had an accident around uh, July 2021. So about you know about 14 months now. Right. Okay. What happened to you? Basically, I was I was on a on a holiday with my friends up in um, up in Shannon or Mount, Mount Shannon in Clare. We we do a boat trip every year. Mm. Um, it was our sixth year of doing it. Um, so we've we've had plenty of experience with it and. You know, we pulled up one night um, in Mount Shannon. We were off the boat and everything like that. And we were off out exploring. And, you know, we were in a kind of a, a wooded area clearing. And I was just sitting on a wall. And I just, as 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 I've learned can happen, I, I fell off it and sustained this injury, you know. And was it, didn't was it quite a high wall that you were sitting on? It wasn't, actually. It was, it was a little over two metres. Um, and as I've learned since, even that can can be crucial you know that it doesn't need to be very high to to have this sort of impact um is it just because of the way in which you fell and landed on your back is that what caused so it would see yeah exactly you know i've i've I'm no, I'm no stranger to a fall down in my you know when i was younger but just yeah. just the circumstances here meant that that's the way it worked out because I mean it's so easy to fall I mean like you know it's happened to us all and it's just unfortunate I suppose the way you landed and what um, like when it happened did you know straight away that something wasn't right? Not quite not to the extent that it turned out to be um, you know I knew there was something wrong I kind of felt a bit winded um, you know, and I remember saying you know kind of I'll go back and rest rest up for the night, you know. Mm. But luckily, my friends who were there, they they kind of knew something was wrong straight away, so they didn't try to kind of pick me up or anything like that. The ambulance was called, and you know, they, I I think 
the 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 team that arrived to me probably knew better than anybody what was what was what it was looking like. So mm. the best care was taken of me, and I was taken off to Limerick Hospital. And were you in the hospital for long then? That particular one that I was Limerick University, I, you know, the accident was about nine p.m. and I was there till about two p.m. for kind of an initial assessment and kind of stabilization. And then they brought me up to the matter. So I was on an ambulance up to the matter during during the night. And I arrived there, you know, at, I think it was about six o'clock in the morning on, right. on the 6th of July. And did they tell you then in when you went to the matter that you had suffered a spinal injury cord or at what point did you find that out? It was it was around there. I, I recall on the on the ambulance on the way there that they were they were being somewhat tight lipped about it, you know, yeah. because I suppose they didn't want to be jumping to conclusions but you know I, I was told before my kind of x-rays and you know I actually even had, I was even in surgery later that that day on the 6th within 24 hours of the accident so they they knew the extent of it and they they'd started to uh, to 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 break the news to me you know and when they did break the news to you like what was your reaction <sighs> kind of shock really you know to be yeah. honest with you you know it it, it really didn't you know, fully sink in on the day, you know. Um, so, and it, you know, it took some time the following week. I spent about a week in the matter and it was, you know, like, even though it was relatively straightforward injury as it, as it happens, I wasn't in any pain. I, I hadn't any other injuries sustained. You know, mm. There was barely a mark on me. Um, you know, so that, that somewhat kind of helped and maybe almost reduced my understanding of what could be wrong, given that I had no other injuries. But you know, it's, it it was it was it was starting to sink in then. And so, what way did it affect you then? I think it was it was devastating. You know, as in you know they 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 were very realistic with me about it. You know, they were telling me about you know the chances for walking again, and you know the I, I just started getting introduced to terms like T ten and T eleven and Asia. You know the the the, the level the, the severity of it. You know, there's a mm. scale of A to E, and mine was a B on that scale, so it was pretty much as pretty much as bad as you can get not quite but it's 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 right up there and um you know the, the most distressing part for me was just you know my my girlfriend received a, a call in the middle of the night telling her about this awful accident and she had to make her way to the matter from cork right there and then yeah. you know hearing her account of this was is is by far the most distressing when i think back to that time she you must know, have rather than yeah unbelievable Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And Richard, I was talking to Fiona there about uh, the medical card and she was talking about, you know, the various different treatments that everybody has. She said that no injury is the same and everybody needs different uh, treatments. So you must have had yeah. like a lot of uh, treatments, particularly at the start. Yes, indeed. I couldn't agree more about the two, two, um, no two injuries are alike. You know, I've met a lot of people now since and not, I've never met someone who has exactly the same combination as me or, you know, it's it's working out for them. You know, I, I, I got, as Fiona mentioned, I had that emergency medical card, which was valid for six months. And it was, I could sense that there was a bit of urgency for everyone who was working with me to get to, to do as much as possible in that time frame, which was to buy a new wheel, you know, to get a wheelchair and get other equipments that was needed. Um, you know, and I was kind of, you know, they, I was starting to be guided then about my application, about the medical, the, the real medical card, you know, and to start mm-hmm. putting that together. There was a social work in CUH who kickstarted that with me. And then when I actually got to the NRH, which was in September, the, the, the social worker there, David Delacy, he, he was he was amazingly helpful. He started me to help me put it together, mm. and we kind of worked, you know, with our understanding of it, you know, and like and possibly ignorance on my side, you know. So, oops, you know, you have a you've got a spine injury. The, the chances are quite high that you you, you would get it. Um, you know, and it, it took about a six it took about six months to actually get from the start to the finish of or the, the kind of resolution of the application mm. and in the end it was actually turned down so um you know that, that was actually a bit of a surprise because we you know it seemed to be going yeah you know seemingly more positive but in the end you know I've, I've got the the appeal like you know it's funny that the amount of detail you need to to provide for the mm. the medical card is 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 quite extreme you know As all you of say, my own like bank if- statements and your yeah like your injury was as extreme as they come but yet like you weren't entitled to it so I mean that just seems absolutely outrageous yeah it was it was a shock and it was it was a bit of a blow to that when we received that word you know mm-hmm. I, I'm lucky to say that you know I'm still able to work away you know I have an office-based job and we've been working remotely anyway yeah. and I, I was able to continue that and so basically what det- what determined it was the income of both myself and my and my partner mm. put us above the, the guidelines. And that, you know, I, if I, I I don't know enough about the, the process to argue with that, but now knowing, you know, I, I have my own appeal letter in front yeah. of me here, which I said, and it's the most detailed record of, of my injury that I that I have. I, I put everything in there. You know, it talks about the the the, the adaptions for the house, the, mm. the the needs for physio. It's all there. And you know, they they said that look at you know the 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 the, the phrase in the, the response was it hasn't been established that undue hardship will be incurred, you know. So um, that's that was that was the end of the line. <laughs> like, what difference would it make to your life then to have the card? Because if they're saying like that um, undue hardship, you're saying there that your whole house has to be um, 
you know, renovated. So, you know, what do they mean by that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a good, good question. And I, I, you know, I don't want to be too critical. I don't, I don't say no enough, but there was, yeah. there was a lot of expenses needed. You know, we had to, luckily we'd actually put down a deposit on a, on a new built house two months before the accident. Uh-huh. So the house was starting to be built and the, the you know, Flynn's in Cork, they, they were amazing. They, they actually pretty much put the, the house build on pause till we, we arranged you know, we needed a true floor lift and we needed yeah. other modifications like a door door widening, things like that. And those all cost money, you know. And um, you know, um, so there's there's no doubt that um the medical card would have helped, not just with the, the financial element, because I've got monthly medicine costs now, you know, that are somewhat offset by the drugs payment scheme, but not not entirely. Yeah. But it's it's services now that I can't access. You know, my wheelchair now, for example, like if you think if you think of a pair of shoes, you know, like that they, they can get worn out quickly. This this chair is with me everywhere I go and it's it's taking a beating, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's services to do just for example, just for servicing of it. I yeah. I I actually punctured one of the tires over the weekend and um you know, it's stuff like that, you know, yeah. you, it gives you a bit of anxiety about, you know, you know, you don't want to be caught out in a situation where you've something like that happen and you're stuck, you know, yeah. and I, I was always a super independent person and I, I, I work every day to kind of regain that. And I, I'm, I'm lucky to say that I have a massive amount of independence now. Um, but, you know, I'm always at the mercy of some bit of, you know, uh, some, some accident like that, that, that leaves, puncture tire something like that yeah Richard hopefully now the the government listened to the Spinal Injuries Ireland when they um, put in that pre-budget submission and they allow for the medical cards to be um, given out to people based on needs rather than means thank you for sharing your story with us and best luck for the future Thank you very much for having me. Now, the ongoing issue with Owen Nakura and the, the mental health facility in Owen Nakura um, still hasn't been solved. And there was a committee meeting last week. It was the Oireachtas, uh, the Oireachtas Petitions Committee met on Thursday afternoon. And Mary Hurley has been talking to me. Her sister has been living in Owen Nakura for the last 25 years and she was watching the hearing unfold. So Mary Hurley, there was an Oireachtas Petitions Committee held last week which discussed the handling by the HSE of the Owen Akura facility in Middleton and also uh, looking at its future and one of the statements that was made during that hearing was that um, it has been dealt with in a sensitive manner. Now you were watching the hearing, what was your reaction to that, that it has been dealt with in a sensitive manner? Well I thought it was um, um uh, a huge discrepancy between what the HSE management were saying at the committee meeting and what we're experiencing as um, um, you know as families and um, the residents on the ground. Yeah. Our experience is um, that what is being offered to residents um, is not meeting um, people's needs. Certainly, in in our family's case, what was offered was. Um, um, a, a centre that has a lower compliance rating than Onakura. The accommodation is ward type accommodation. At the moment my sister is in a room on her own and um, it's a small room, it's grand in terms of its size. We, we've never made any complaint about that but what has been offered is um, um, 
a, a shared room that is in a ward-like situation. And mm. the HSC are talking about working with families and supporting families um, in this journey. But clearly, they're not they're, they're not doing that in practice. Um, we went to visit another property then. And I suppose the first thing to say about it is that it is a rented property that is being rented from, 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 for, on a monthly basis at a, an unbelievable cost. I was really shocked to hear that it's costing um, the HSC um, something like nearly €43,000 a month. A month? To, um, a month, yeah, between the rental and the cleaning of the property. Yeah. And when when you visit the place, you you know that it's 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 a temporary situation because the room we visited was basically, um, I suppose, like a hotel room. There was yeah. nothing um, permanent about any. There wasn't a chest of drawers. There wasn't a wardrobe. There wasn't a place where someone would make their home, which is what Onakura is for. And I mean, forty three thousand a month. If they were to invest that in Onakura and um, improve the facility there, I'm sure that would be money better spent in the family's eyes anyway. Well, yeah, and, and, and any kind of drilling down in terms of um, what, what's going on here, we just don't understand that all of this money is being, um, I suppose, used um, for... Uh, it's, a, it's a real um, confusion. Um, it doesn't seem to have a, a plan around it. And that's been our experience, uh, I, I think, about all of this um, process. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's an ad hoc thing. It's a reactive thing. Uh, and I, I suppose I, I come back to, I suppose, our own family situation that um, my, my sister is someone who has struggled with, um, you know, significant mental health issues. And the idea of um, her, her having maybe to move to accommodation that, that's temporary, that she may have to go through another change in another period of time. Like these moves are profoundly difficult for these residents. Um, I can't kind of say that enough, that this isn't just like simply moving you know, um, uh, for the average person, the transition um, to Onakura in our, in my sister's case, took her many years, and it was mm-hmm. a very, um, very challenging process for her. And she did that, but it took her years and years of support and effort. And the idea that you know a rented property will somehow, um, you know, be, you know, be in her interest. Is, is just it just doesn't ring true. So when I hear you know these grand statements about the HSE senior management wanting to work closely with families and residents and the local community to develop services, it rings very hollow. Actually. And your sister has been there for 25 years and, you know, yeah. you said there about how traumatic it can be to move. And we know that even for a family to move home, it's, uh, you know, if they're to move out of their house and into a different home, it's it's quite stressful. It's quite a stressful time. So I would imagine that somebody who has lived in Onakura for 25 years would find a move extremely stressful. Um, and, I, you know, they were they were pointing out at the, the committee meeting the other day that some of the facilities that 
that some of the residents have moved to are um, they said that the residents are settling into their new homes and continue to receive support in a more appropriate environment but um, a lot of the local politicians who were there took um, umbrage at that and said no that you know that when they're in Owen Akura, it's in the local community it's in the town centre in Middleton they all have their own room so how is that um, you know how are the conditions that they're in now any better than that and I think yeah. that's been the crux of your campaign is Absolutely. that yeah. you know yeah. that it suits them where they are and and the thing is, remember, uh, like when you talk about somebody moving, um, like what what is being uh, offered uh, by the HSE um, with all of this accommodation is accommodation outside of the the areas that these people have been living in. There is nothing um, um, like like these are in Cork and um, uh, Starfield Court was the other. Um, um, premises that was offered and remember not alone are you um, removing kind of the immediate um, support of kind of staff that have worked alongside these residents for many many years you're also um, losing you know friends neighbours in our case we have some relations who live kind of uh, you know around the Middleton area as well as ourselves so you're you're dismantling all the um, supports that these residents um, have, uh, I suppose, relied on to, I suppose, maintain their mental health and their well-being and transplanting them into settings where they know nobody, actually. And um, one of the properties, um, it's a lower uh, type of um, service in terms of it's a hostile type service. So you're very much um, moving from um, what's called a continuing care level of service in Onakura to a service in the hostel case where it's it's a hostel type, you're, it's an independent living model yeah. and you're talking about somebody moving from, I suppose, having all the, the support um, uh, in an integrated way in Onakura to a much, um, um, I suppose, reduced kind of support service. And I think that, quite frankly, is setting people up to fail and I, I think it is, I actually think that that is really wrong. So finally, Mary, what happens now? I mean, this has been going on now for well over a year. We don't know, really. I, I mean, we'll probably continue to have another meeting uh, with, with with the HSE, but it's very distressing for, um, for, for all of us, um, you know, for my sister in the first instance and the family, that we um, are really, really worried about her and for her future actually um, mm. at the moment and um, we, we, we really are um, in, a, in a difficult place with this um, whole on a car business. Well, listen, Mary, we'll keep on um, raising the, the issues here on the opinion line and thanks again for speaking to me this morning. Thank you. That was Mary Hurley speaking to me. Um, there's nine residents left there in Owenakura and uh, the families, obviously, as Mary was saying, they're extremely worried about their future. And it's one that we will continue to watch here on the Opinion Line, the future of the Owenakura Mental Health Facility in Middleton. 
Now, National Walking Day for Ireland takes place on the 25th of September and in the lead up to that there will be a Walk 21 satellite event on the 23rd of September and um, it will be happening here in Cork uh, in the Nano Nagel Place conference room from 10am until 3pm and joining me now to talk about this is Alison Chambers who is the Walking Promotion Officer of Cork City or Cork Sports Partnership. Good morning Alison. Hi Fiona, how are you doing? I'm very Thanks well. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Alison, first of all, the event that's happening um, in Nanonagel Place on the 23rd of September, is it about trying to promote walking in Cork and looking at the ways in which we can do that? Uh, that's actually exactly right. Um, the conference is uh, based around walking and livable communities, Fiona. And the idea is how the, how we can work towards the sustainable development goals mm. by 2030 by making Ireland a more walkable and livable place. Um, and there's a number of themes throughout that. So, yeah, basically it's it's how we can kind of contribute to that through walking. And so here in Cork, I mean, I know that there are a lot of walkways in Cork, but what can we do to improve it? Like, is, is there a number of different areas that you'd like to promote that we need to, to improve here in Cork? Uh, well, certainly a lot of it's going to come down to, you know, planning, urban development and rural development. Mm. And that's why, because it's all very well to get people out and walking, but... It needs to be, you know, safe environment and, you know, the infrastructure needs to support it, you know. Mm. So that's, there's going to be a big drive towards this um, at the conference in Dublin and also at our satellite event down here. Um, and the other thing, I suppose, is just to, you know, get out and about and get walking yourselves, um, because the more we do, the more that's going to contribute to this infrastructural development that we need, you know. And if people aren't at the event on the 23rd of September, is there a way that they can get um, involved as well? Because I know that walking is huge here in Cork and people love to get out. And like yesterday now, I was at the Cork City uh, Women's Mini Marathon and down along Mm -hmm. the marina there, it's a beautiful area, like beautiful greenway, but we need more of these areas in Cork. So there might be a lot of people who have um, an opinion on it, but they can't actually attend the event. So is there any way that they can get involved? Absolutely. The best way is just to kind of reach out to me um, through the corksports.ie website mm. and all my contact details are on that as well. And then um, and then I can just kind of look into, you know, people's opinions, people's views, people's thoughts on it. And we can kind of go from there because that's what it all comes from is from, you know, people having their say. Mm. Um, so that's the best way to go about it. And we can see where we go from there. Um, linking in with other, you know, um, NGBs like Get Cor- Get Ireland Walking, um, Mountaineering Ireland, even like City and County Councils and all that. So that's probably the best way to go about it. And then um, I could uh, link people in from there if they have um, ideas. There are a number of projects here in Cork, like Get Cork Walking Project and the Paths for All Project. Yeah. And how are they going? Mm-hmm. They're going really well. Um, That's going to be one of the main presentations on the day is on the Get Cork Working Project. And then the Pass for All project is a project that is running in Scotland. And they're probably a few years ahead of us in terms of development. Mm. So um, hopefully we're going to learn a lot from them them on the day. Um, and basically in Cork already, you know, there's a number of programs and initiatives up and running um, and it's just a matter of keeping them going now. So we have the community walking programs, we have uh, Woodlands for Health programs, lots of different ones, you know, and then um, 
And then we have where we're always working on, you know, lists of walking groups around Cork City and County, um, because then it's very easy for someone to reach out then. Um, and a lot of them are listed on our website. So that's a good way of, of getting involved as well. And on the Get Ireland Walking website as well. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a great way of getting involved as well. I suppose, um, Alison, like we're looking at, uh, we're talking about different ways that people can get out for walks and you were talking mm-hmm. there about, um, you know, safety and whatever. But um, yeah. is, is a part of it as well about trying to commute to work and, and bringing walking into your commute to work? Yeah, that's, that's a massive part, really. And again, that all comes back to just, um, you know, advocating for the infrastructure um, mm. that will allow people to do that. Because, yeah, I mean, that's a huge part that can just make walking part of our kind of daily activities and again work towards sustainable development goals which is going to help everyone um so yeah that that's a big part of it for sure brilliant um, and, and as we said it's know, national yeah. walking day on the 25th of september so we would that's hope it. that it would be a nice clear day no rain and that Hopefully. everybody can get out. <laughs> yeah and that everybody and can walk we're to also that's it. And we're also asking people, walking groups and whole walking groups around um, Cork to register their walks for that day, Fiona. Okay. So if any groups are listening there, it'd be great if they could register them just so that people can, you know, get involved and like you say, take advantage of, of and kind of mark National Walking Day. Fabulous. Alison Chambers, Walking Promotion Officer with Cork Sports Partnership. Thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Just a couple of things that I wanted to get through first. Um, the blood donation clinic will be at Cork City Hall this coming Wednesday, the 21st and Thursday, the 22nd between 3.45pm and 7.40pm. Please ring 1-800-731-137 to make an appointment. That number is 1-800-731-137 or you can go on to uh, giveblood.ie for more information. Um, in the last hour we were talking, um, we were due to have a chat with um, Mary Margaret who rang us about digs um, in UCC. She was saying that she was charging 160 euro per week um, and that she contacted UCC and they were saying that the going rate is 170 or 180 euro a week. We've had a WhatsApp message to say, okay, so charging 160 euro per week on the face of it sounds okay till you think about the point of view of the students who, for example, work in 20 hours per week plus a full-time degree course. The student is earning €250 per week, has 90 quid to get through seven days after rent. When I moved home in 2010, my four-bed house to rent cost me 650 per month. By the way, I don't blame Margaret one bit. She's more than fair here. Uh, well, I think, though, um, with the digs in particular, I'm not sure if they still do it like this, but um, they, they pay the students um, or they, they give the students their meals so the students wouldn't have, would be guaranteed that they'd have a meal every day. So they're not at the expense of that. Um, and, um, you know... Uh, I think the big thing really though is the whole student accommodation thing. I know that it's been covered in the news here on 96FM and other media outlets over the last couple of weeks where students can't really come to Cork because there's no accommodation. Um, they can't afford it. There's no available, there's no affordable accommodation, I should say. There's, um, you know, there, there seem to be building a lot of accommodation for students, but whether or not it's affordable is another thing. Um, and it's a huge issue again here. We see it every year when students go back to college 
age, but it seems to be getting worse and um, definitely something needs to be done about that. Also, we were having a big discussion about crests on school uniforms. Eugene has been in touch to say if the school require a crest, then leave them supply it for free. Thank you for that, Eugene. And another person has been in touch to say I usually get the crest put on a generic school jumper, which usually costs seven euro at Buckley's and Shannon Street. This year it was 10 euro. They increased the price this year of all years, making it harder for parents. 10 euro to add a crest seems excessive. And what um, somebody else had contacted us earlier um, in the show to say that they have work gear and the big um, the big problem is trying to, or the, the big expense is trying to get the logo set up. But once they have the logo, it should be no more than five euro to embroider. So I suppose that's something that needs to be looked at as well. So if anybody else wants to get in touch with us on that conversation or anything that we're talking about, 0818 96 96 96 is the number to dial or 083 396 96 96 is the text or WhatsApp number. Now we hear a lot um, about resilience and, and particularly with resilience in the workplace and joining me now to talk about this is Ray Goggins. Ray served in the Irish Army for 26 years including 17 years in the Army Ranger Wing as a Special Forces Operator and he's probably best known uh, by people now as the Chief Instructor on RTE's Special Forces Ultimate Hell Week and um, he joins me now. Ray, you obviously have a lot of resilience <laughs> for the roles that you have had in your yeah, good career. Good morning, Fiona. <laughs> good morning, good morning. Ray, just... Uh, yeah, I, I have. Uh, yeah, go on. No, I'm just saying I have uh, probably the most is for coaching the under-15 soccer team, but there you go. <laughs> you need it in all kinds. Well, I was up at the street leagues um, on Saturday in Bishopstown and definitely hands up to all the, the coaches who are doing uh, tremendous work with, with the underage teams. Is uh, You need a lot of resilience, all right. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah, and for sure. Ray, just with regards to resilience, is it something that's in us naturally or is it something that we learn and acquire over time? Yeah, it's actually both, Fiona. So, like, we all have different levels of, of resilience, uh, I think, you know, depending on who we are, you know, like upbringing, you know, how you view life. And that's what resilience is. It's your attitude towards what you do. Mm. Like that understanding that, you know, things will change. All it is, all resilience is your ability to adapt to change and adapt to things going wrong, basically, and, and how you react to it. That's what resilience is, really, to me, you know. So if we don't have that naturally in us or it's not something that we grew up with, like how do we how do we acquire it yeah. then? Yeah, you, you can build it. You can build it, of course. Again, I, I mentioned it's about your attitude and, and how you kind of see stuff. So obviously life experience is a big thing. Like, there's, you know, there's nothing like a hard lesson to teach you not to do that again. Yeah, you know, true. like that's a big one. So that's probably the main way we, we get more kind of resilient. You know, we learn a lesson. Okay. I won't make that mistake or I'll be more positive the next time or, or I'll do this or do that. Like the other way you, you kind of pick up your resilience is by kind of training like courses, education, where you learn lessons from other people or you learn in that kind of format. Um, and the, kind of the third way is our personality. Like we all have different amount or different amounts of resilience. So some people are more physically resilient. Some people are more mentally or emotionally resilient. So it, it depends on your own ability. But the good news is you can train it. Like you can improve your resilience by, you know, maybe like, you know, if you've something that you're kind of worried about or a challenge, you can do little bits of it and kind of almost inoculate yourself to the full exposure of it, which helps you to deal with it then and get through it. So mm. that's kind of another way. And the most important thing for me that gets all of us good for resilience like people talk about motivation and all this kind of stuff like to me that doesn't really work for me what keeps you resilient 
is discipline, like, you know, having positive habits, dealing with things on a daily basis. So if you have a good routine, if you do stuff well enough, like it means you don't have to have those days where you're always in good form. What about the days when you're in bad form? In those days, your discipline and your habits will kind of keep you going. And and that's kind of what I've kind of fell back on all my career in the military and beyond it. Ray, when we're choosing a job or if we've been offered a job and we're not sure about it, like, do we need to be looking at our resi- our levels of resilience, of resilience and be uh, truthful to ourselves and, and look at the job and the amount of pressure that it um, brings yeah. and look at the way we're able to deal with that? Is that very important for us? Of course. Like, if you're a certain type of mindset, if, you know, if you're if you're someone who doesn't deal with, like, you know, crowds or, t- or talking to people then mm. don't become a public speaker for example okay you can work on it but, yeah. but definitely like your attitude towards it and like if you manage your expectation of what you're doing so like don't get me, get me wrong we all need to challenge ourselves and aim high but if you're going into a kind of an environment where you could be under pressure and require that resilience then manage your expectations of first of all who you are and what you can bring you mm. like how good you are at something and more importantly how bad you're at something like you have to be honest about it and it doesn't mean it's the end of it and you never do that again it means you can actually train on it and as I mentioned earlier take little bites of it you know expose yourself in little bits to it and you'll actually get better and better and better at it Sometimes if people do decide that they want to go for promotion or they want to change jobs, they may be maybe unhappy in the current situation that they're in. And I think when you're in that kind of a situation, it can drag us down and it's very difficult to change that mindset, isn't it? So how do we become more positive then? Um, and, and how do we change that negative attitude into a positive attitude? Does resilience play a key factor in that? Yeah, it, it definitely helps. Like your ability to understand that, you know, look, things aren't going to be perfect. Things will go wrong. Okay, I'm not going to get 100%. Okay, but I get as close to it as I can. Even having that attitude before you start on a challenge or some adventure will do that for you. And like to remain in that mindset, you know, like our brains are mad. Our brains will kind of just want to keep us safe only. All they look at is survival. And anything else that happens outside that, your brain sees as either a risk or danger. And it, it'll shut you down. Even you're saying there like a promotion, a new job or whatever, like that brings its own kind of stresses as well. So mm. w- what I kind of do for anything like that, you can keep it very simple. Like, so, you know, you have that control. So like, don't worry about stuff that you can control in that environment. So only stuff you can control. So if you can affect something yourself, um, you know, personally, or you can get someone to help you do something, then do that. So that's what happens with us. When we can control things then and affect stuff, it puts us in a better place and it brings that positive attitude. Like we tend to worry, you know, about stuff we can't affect. And mm. people would worry and worry and worry about things they can never like affect. And that that's what cuts the legs off you. And that's what stops you being, you know, resilient or effective. Mm. As well, you can focus on the task. Like if you focus on small tasks, and break it down to like a present moment attitude of just fixing immediately what you need to fix or do what you need to do and then move on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Because what happens with all of us in these kind of challenges, we look at the whole picture and sure, like, of course, you'd be in a heat then. You'd be mm. anxious, you're nervous. Everything goes away from you. Your power and strength goes. So that's what I would suggest that like just break it down to simple, basic tasks and that'll keep you going. When we're looking at ourselves and we mentioned there about being truthful to ourselves and our own um, abilities and our own levels of resilience, like a lot of the time people can be their worst critic. Um, but is that a bad thing? Like, should we be able to look at ourselves and, and be able to criticise ourselves in order to improve? Yeah, of course, you have to be aware. So you have to be aware of your strengths and weaknesses and accept them for what they are. 
Now, does that mean you just leave them at that? It doesn't. Uh, and does that also mean you have to knock yourself out and give yourself a kick in the arse all the time? You mm. don't. So like h- how you kind of talk to yourself is the most important relationship you'll have in your life because no matter what you do in your life, you know, whether you have a partner, family, friends, whatever, like the person you're always with is yourself. So mm. h- how you communicate internally to yourself is very important. So your self-talk to yourself, even if you're giving out yourself a little bit or trying to fix something, it has to be positive because, you know, if, if you're talking to yourself in a negative manner, you're telling yourself you're never good enough i'm never going to i'm never going to do anything right that's exactly what will happen because your your conscious and subconscious mind that's what that's how it works like if you keep telling yourself you're rubbish that's the way you'll be if you give yourself again i mentioned earlier about managing your expectations of what you want to do Hmm. if you are getting things wrong like break it down as to why you know don't just leave it there okay why did this go wrong write it down and figure that out then and then work on those things like again pick out smaller parts of it and work on it and then you will improve, your resilience will improve. And, you know, those, those challenges that you, maybe you might have been that good at, it, it will make a positive effect. But like your, your ability to start with an I can attitude for yourself is, is an absolute massive difference in being either, I'd say effective, I won't necessarily say successful, being effective or not. And uh, Ray, somebody has just messaged us in here to say, can you ask why are some people so cool, calm and collected and others aren't? Yeah, it, it it depends. Like I tell you, we're, we're all cu- cut from different cloth. But like, you know, it's usually when it comes to pressure environments or even a bit of chaos that people lose the plot Be- because of that reason. They start worrying about stuff they can't control. Oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? And then their mind goes on a spiral of negativity, and it's very hard to get yourself back out of that. Hmm. So what I do is, you know, like am I a composed, a natural composed and calm person? I have certain elements of it, but I work on it all the time. And if you can remain calm in a pressurized environment, it's actually a superpower. And I always say this because what happens to all of us when things start going downhill and, you know, we're trying to control everybody's behavior and you're trying to control your team in the office and you're trying to control this and control that. It's impossible to do that. Sometimes all you can do is control yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that and get calm and get yourself focused and, you know, as I mentioned there, break it down to small things, concentrate on something immediate and try and affect that positively, then that puts you in a better position moving forward. And another thing as well for all of us, it's not the event that happens in front of you. It's your reaction to it is what causes the stress. So if you can remember that, like, you know, and panicking and losing the will, like that isn't going to do any good for you, you know. In my experience and what I've done in my past, that gets people killed. So you learn very quickly to calm down and stay composed, so... And some people yeah. are naturally very calm anyway, but some people are really good at hiding their, their panic, aren't they? Some people can come across as being cool, calm and collected, but inside they're oh, just in ab- complete turmoil. Listen, absolutely. Abso- I've been in situations in my career where, like, you know, the hamster was going flat out on yeah. the treadmill in my head, but everybody around me didn't get that. So, like... E- there's a great saying, you know, even if the heart feels it, don't let the mind feel it. So stay focused, stay positive, you know, keep yourself calm. Like breathing techniques are so effective for keeping yourself composed and, and you know, in, in a positive kind of uh, mindset. And it means then you, you can control yourself a little bit. Mm. And sometimes all you need is one or two percent to keep you at the right side of the good line. You know, like, again, it doesn't mean you have to get everything right or be perfect at everything. But the stuff you focus on, you focus on it with absolute laser focus, no distractions. And you you do that. And then that helps you to stay calm. You know, that's what worked for me. 
And, you know, we've seen you, Ray, in action on RTE Special Forces Ultimate Hell Week um, and you've demonstrated strong leadership skills. So if somebody, um, you know, as we were talking about there about going for a promotion or if they already have their their dream job and they have a whole team underneath them, like how, like what kind of skills do we need to become a great leader? Yeah, well, look, I tell you, I found joining the army was the best way to deal with that, Fiona, and spending 26 years doing stuff. But anyway, I'm joking, of course. Uh, like, I suppose the most important thing, like, look, there's loads of different um, different kind of abilities and leadership. And what happens with all of us, we all try and become like Barack Obama or whoever, mm. you know, we model ourselves and try and take all these things off these people. Like, okay, that that works for some people, but not for all of us. So what I would suggest to people is to be a good leader, you have to figure out who you are first, figure out your strengths and more importantly, your weaknesses, mm. like, you know, and, and work on those. Like there's kind of a couple of simple techniques and there's a couple of simple things you need as a leader. Like for me, I remember the military manual stated you'd 42 there's 42 qualities of being a leader. Uh, like, who has all those? So I, I kind of have it dumbed down to simple stuff. So for me, the, the big things about being a leader simply are, you know, what you say and what you do have to be aligned. You can't be like, you know, sitting on, down on having a coffee while you're killing your team. Like, mm. you have to get stuck in. So that integrity is incredibly important as a leader. So your message has to be clear. Your values have to be clear. And you have to follow it through all the time, every day, simple things. You're always a leader. You're a leader in the pub. You're a leader in the office. You're a leader all the time. That's the way you have to do it. Um, for, on top of that, then you have communications. You know, talking to people is important. Listening to them is important. You know, understanding you're not always the, the big voice. You know, and I mentioned composure and resilience already. Um, but the last kind of thing I leave you with, with the leadership thing, is that that empathy, which people forget. People think being a leader, and especially in the army, is roaring, shouting at people, and all oh, do this, do that, and do the other. Mm. Like what you see in Hell Week is what what we're doing is a testing phase of what we would do with 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 students on a course. But like when you go into special forces and in a team, yeah, there is a time you have to be that dictator and you give people their opinion. But when you have the opportunity to canvas and listen to your team and value them by, you know, accepting what they say and bring it into your plan, then then you're being a good leader straight away. Like what a leader does, you don't have to do everything. You unite the people to get the job done. That's your job as a leader. So if you can do that, however you do it, that's that's important. Ray, it's a fascinating subject and it's one that you will be addressing at an event at the Republic of Work here on the South Mall in Cork City. It's called Resilience with Ray Goggins and it's on October 19th. And if anybody wants to go to that, they can, um, is it they register with eventbrite.ie? Yeah, I think they're, uh, that's the way to go, Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. There, I'm also, I'm in the Opera House on Sunday night as well, would you believe? Oh, are you? <laughs> Rory O'Connor has a show going there, so he's playing the Opera House this Sunday night, uh, so I'm a special guest. Now, hopefully it'll be a bit more crack. I won't be talking about leadership skills and resilience. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll get a few giggles and a bit of crack out of me setting Rory, hopefully. Fabulous. We we'll look forward to it. Thanks so much, for Ray, for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. That is Ray Goggin. And as I said, he will be in the Republic of Work in October talking about resilience. Now, I wanted to uh, tell you about a big promotion that we have here on 96FM. It's going to be huge. We can't tell you uh, what it's all about yet, but um, you need to stay tuned over the coming week. Um, it's Cork's 96FM is counting down to the next big win. Uh, get ready for Sun, Samba, a superstar and you. That's all I know, so that's all you know at the minute. So stay listening for more and it's coming soon on Cork's 96FM.
we were speaking there to Ray Goggins about resilience and um, I've been speaking as well to um, Colin Gare. Now he has set up a unique gym in Cork and it has no scales and no mirrors and it's all about trying to promote people's uh, positive mental health through exercise and I've been talking to him for today's Opinion Line. So Colin, I think when people go to the gym, the main aim for a lot of people would be to, you know, lose weight, get physically healthier. But your gym is a little bit different in that the focus is not on the physical health so much as the mental health. That's that's exactly it, yeah. So I mean, physical health and mental health are totally interlocked anyway. I think I was reading a study there not so long ago where one in three people with a long-term physical health condition will also have a mental health condition such as anxiety or depression. Mm. But then, if you have a, a mental condition, a, a, you know, like anxiety or depression, you're more likely to have a preventable physical health condition such as heart disease. Because you can, as you can imagine, if you're anxious or if you're depressed, you're going to find it very hard to make appointments. So you might, you know, if you can't look after your mental health, you're going to find it very hard to look after your physical health. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when you exercise, you always feel better afterwards. Well, you do because the exercise, it releases endorphins and it, and it pumps blood to the brain. So you guess you can think more clearly and it improves your cognitive function. And it also increases your hippocampus, which is the, the memory part of the brain. Mm. So, you know, as you, as you increase your, you know, as the endorphins get released, you start to feel better which increases your physical health and then increasing your physical health in turn increases your mental health. So why did you decide, Colin, to take the mirrors and the weighing scales out of your gym? Because I want to focus basically on just your mental health. I don't, cause I don't think your happiness should be dictated by what you see on a scale or what you see on a mirror because very easily you become obsessed with that. You don't, you don't, you're not living a balanced life then either, you know? Mm. Now, it's great if you're overweight to lose weight and to get to a thing, but you shouldn't become obsessed with it. So I want to, just, I want to focus on just building a, health, a healthy mind and also a healthy body with it. And if you improve your mind, your body's going to fall into place anyway. Because I think with some gyms, when they're entirely focused on, you know, bulking up your, ma- your muscles or, you know, trying to lose weight, they can come across as being quite intimidating to people. Very, very intimidating. So what, I, what I've created really is, almost a therap- the, uh, the environment of a, of a therapist's office, safe, confidential. I build a relationship with my clients, you know, um, as a therapist would with a... Because I'm a I'm qualified uh, psychotherapist as well. Hmm. So I build that relationship with them and I introduce them to exercise in a place that they can feel safe and also that might be more approachable for them, you know. You said there that you are that you're a trained psychotherapist as well. Can I talk to you a little bit about your own journey and how you uh, got into psychotherapy and fitness? Because you had your own story to tell. I did. Yeah, I suppose you know, like a lot of people, when you leave school, you, you get you. Well, personally, I was lost anyway. Mm. I didn't really know what to do, and I just kind of fell into, a, I suppose, a life that was going nowhere, just drinking, partying. Um, you know, we couldn't really see the wood from the trees, you know. Mm. And eventually, then I kind of got help for myself. And exercise really helped me to come out of that hole, you know. Yeah. Um, but after a while, then, you know, it just wasn't enough because, you know, I'm an addictive personality, so I was constantly training. I needed to train more and train more. Mm. So then, you know, I took up psychotherapy and I just, just gave me a better balance on life and to, and to help me live a healthier life, I suppose, you know. And then... I really enjoyed it. So then I went back to, to MTU and I studied it for four years just to get a qualification in it so maybe I could help people. 
Did you find when you were living that lifestyle of partying and drinking that you were kind of going through a lot of ups and downs emotionally because when you were partying, you were in great form, but then, you know, the days in between the parties, maybe not so good? Oh, oh 100%, 100%. And the thing is, there was no there was no happiness in it. Mm. Everything was fake. Um, it wasn't until I stopped really that I found out what real happiness is. You know, you can just waking up on a sunny morning and having a coffee now. It means the world to me, you know. Mm. But at that time, I was doing it for so long, I didn't know any different. Mm. I had no idea how I would live a life um, unless this was it, unless it was partying and drinking, you know. Yeah. And I think a lot of young people, um, a lot of old people as well, but as you said, there are a lot of young people who've maybe left school or have left college and, you know, throughout their their life up until that point, it's been about education and about, you know, a career goal. But then they come out and they do feel a bit lost. How did you discover then that, um, you know, that exercise gave you a whole different kind of mindset and a whole different feeling emotionally? It was a long journey to get even to that point. But I mean, I knew I had to change, and I knew that if I didn't change, I mean, I'd probably end up dead. Yeah. So I started off just doing a bit of running, then just trying to increase my performance. And then I kind of felt, you know, when you, when you after you exercise, you get a kind of, you know, the endorphins are released. So you, you, you get a high. It's mm. a natural high, you know, and there's no come down from it. And that was better than any party I was ever at, you know? Mm. So, and with that saying, as, you know, as your mental health improves, so does your performance. So you can run a little bit faster, you can train a little bit harder, faster, which gets the heart rate going, which then in turn improves your mental health as well. And did you go from that then straight into a gym? And did you feel intimidated yourself when you were going into a gym at first? So, oh, yeah. Well, you know, my sister bought me a membership for a gym. That's how I got into it. Hmm. And it was, it was in CrossFit. So really, really, really intimidating to go down. Now, every, everyone there was really nice. Yeah. But as you can imagine, when you're walking into a group of people who were hanging off bars and you've never really trained in your life. Yeah. It's really, really intimidating. You know, and it was really hard to keep going back. Absolutely. But after a while, I absolutely loved it. Like, and to be fair, it changed my whole life. You know, I met new friends down there that I have now. And yeah. it was life-changing. It's the only way to describe it, really. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And what kind of reaction have you been getting to your gym? Now, you're, the gym that you've set up, it's also in Ballincollig, um, and there's no scales and no mirrors. So how have people been reacting to that kind of a gym? I'm, I'm actually getting a great reaction to it. Like, I'm only open two weeks. Right. In this day, I've, been, I've been planning for a long time, but um, I'm only open two weeks, so I'm actually getting a great reaction to it. People are very, very interested in see how it works. And I think people are, like, and there's only like a bit of a breathing space to take the focus off the scales in the mirror, like you know, rather than coming in and I'm, I'm weighing it to see did you have a good week or did you have a bad week. I mean, that's not how a good week or a bad week should be measured, hmm. in my opinion, you know. So yeah, that, you know, things are picking up. Hopefully, they continue to pick up. But uh, yeah, a very good reaction so far, anyway. And you believe that one size doesn't necessarily fit all, so you've developed different types of training programmes to suit a person and, you know, what they need themselves and what their ability is. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it, it, so if someone comes in, you know, the thing is you'd like them to sign up and not necessarily pay, but to get a commitment that they come for three months so that you can have a programme in place. So you know where you're going. You know what their goals are, mm. mentally and physically. So you know how to get there. But every day as they come in, your approach might change, you know, mm. because, you know, if someone, if someone has a really stressful week and they're really anxious, you, they might need to come in and they might need to exercise and really burn and really get that heart rate up just to release that tension. But if someone had a tough week, we might just go for a walk. 
But the, the, the goal at the end is always the same. How you get there can change from day to day, you know. I love it, Colin. You, so you can even just go for a walk. It doesn't necessarily oh, have to be a whole session of weightlifting. Oh, exactly. Mm. Yeah, or totally, yeah. It depends on the person. It depends on the day. Mm. Sometimes a walk is all they need. And I'm a, like I said, I'm a therapist as well, so it's a confidential safe space. So I'm there for them as a therapist and a personal trainer, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I was just going to ask you that. You're obviously a personal trainer. You're a qualified personal trainer and you have your degree in psychotherapy. So you you combine the two then in a person session. Yeah, I do, yeah, I do that. So it's like, like every session is different and every week is different. But a typical session will be half the session will be maybe talking about their week helping them through some stuff maybe if they're anxious or they're depressed just being, and being there for them I mean it's all about having a relationship with someone and in the second half based on the first half of the, of the session we just we decide then what we'll do for the second half for the exercise part so will we go for a walk will we get the heart rate up or will we just do lift some weight at a steady pace you know mm. brilliant but, but, but obviously then the goal is always there for them but just how you get there is different yeah well brilliant congratulations on the gym and best of luck with it it's called My Mental Fitness and it's in Balancolic that's it yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, my, my website is www.mymentalfitness.ie yeah fantastic contact me okay brilliant Colin listen thanks so much for talking to us on the opinion line and as I said best of luck with your gym going forward we have been talking about school, school crests all morning and Siobhan has been in touch to say, Hi, my son's school introduced crested school jacket and tracksuit pants this year. Previously, he could wear his own. He's in sixth year. It's insane to have to buy for one year. First year, he had crested full tracksuit. Then they changed to a half zip with own tracksuit bottoms and now back to full crested tracksuit. We're told they would not be allowed to wear non-school jackets in winter. Really wish schools would actually consult with parents and kids and figure out something that actually works and is comfortable. Thank you very much for that, Siobhan. That just um, is putting a huge amount of pressure on parents. Like the, the crested jo- jacket or the crested um, coat, I, I really don't see the point in that. But um, the tracksuit as well, like changing it for people who are in sixth year, as you say, it doesn't seem um, it doesn't seem to make any sense. They should really allow them to just wear the old tracksuit for this year and then kind of slowly introduce the new crested tracksuit if that's what they want. Um, anybody else who has any comments on that situation or anything else that we've been talking about on the show, it's 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 Now, if you are somebody who'd like to be part of a group of like-minded individuals tackling social or environmental challenges in Ireland, maybe you've had a brainwave that could really solve a social problem such as food waste, fast fashion, climate change, education, housing or mental health, but you're not really sure what to do about it. Well, this could be an opportunity for you because creative, um, because uh, Community Enterprise Association are Ireland is is, um, putting together a new kind of Dragon's Den type events over the weekend of September 23rd and joining me now to talk about it is Siobhan Finn who is National Hub Network Manager at the CEAI and she's from Cork herself. Good morning Siobhan. Good morning Fiona. Siobhan and just tell me first of all who are you looking for to take part in this 
So, Fiona, anybody that's gotten an idea um, has identified a problem or a challenge in their community and figured out a way to potentially solve that problem or address that challenge. Uh, So anybody who's in that space, we would love to have you along for the weekend and see you involved. And then there may be people out there who don't necessarily have an idea, but really want to be part of driving change within their own communities. And they can come along too and be be part of the fun for the weekend, be part of the, the um, I suppose, the process that takes place over the weekend, because this begins with a type of idea generation exercise. And then throughout the entirety of the weekend, you work with experienced entrepreneurs who will help you build out your idea, help you identify what the right kind of business model will be, help you identify how to get supports. And then at the end of the weekend, you get an opportunity to pitch um, in front of a group of judges. And if you're successful, you get to go on to a national final in Dublin on the 20th of October. So you don't necessarily have to have a background in business. Absolutely not. Absolutely. And particularly you'll find with social enterprises, the kind of ideas um, that form, I suppose, the, you know, the genesis or the beginning of a social enterprise are very often driven by individuals who don't have a business background, Mm. but who do have a passion and a commitment to make change within their own communities or within their own groups that they're involved with, maybe as a voluntary group or maybe, you know, it's part of their day job, but they see that they could be doing something different, something new, something better and something that will deliver positive impact. And this is a really great way of doing it. And what's more, it's free of charge. You don't have to pay to be part of the weekend. You just register and you turn up. It's called Champion Changemakers and the judges um, will be looking for a number of different um, things like environment and climate action, economic inequality and human well-being. Is that right? Yes, yes. So we've so we looked, I suppose, very closely at the kinds of ideas that we're seeing across communities and societies. And then we looked at the sustainable development goals, which is, you know, where where we all need to be going in terms of what a sustainable planet looks like and what a sustainable future looks like for our communities, our families, our friends. And we, we, I suppose we narrowed it down to those three headings, Fiona, because mm-hmm. every idea we looked at fell under one of those three headings. So there's a, you know, there's a, there's a firm chance that if you turn up with an idea, it'll qualify under one of those headings. And those are the headings then that will be used to categorise ideas and pitches at the end of the weekend. When I was um, introducing you there, I said that it was a series of regional Dragon's Den type events. So do people go in and stand in front of a panel of judges and talk about their idea? So we have half a dozen different locations around the country and here in the southwest we're hosting an event in the RDI hub in Caloraglan in County Kerry and there's the opportunity there to attend virtually. So if you're too far away or if you don't have access to transport over the weekend you can dial in and you can be part of this process from your front room which is really exciting. Um, And then you, you Come along on the Friday night, you you listen to how the structure of the weekend will run, you meet your mentors, you meet your facilitators, you meet other like-minded people, mm. you pick out the idea that you'd like to support the development of, or else you come along with your own idea if you have one. And then you're taken through, a, I suppose, an experience over the weekend, which gets you to a stage on the Sunday evening where you get to pitch in front of a group of judges. Exactly what we've all seen happen in Dragon's Den over the years. Brilliant. It sounds really good. It's really exciting uh, for anybody who is interested or, you know, if, if they have an idea that they'd want to expand. And the deadline for people who want to participate is uh, midnight on September 21st. 
That's correct. Um, we have an online form, which you'll find on our website, um, which is communityenterprise.ie. You go to the landing page for Champion Changemakers and you fill out a form there. And we're taking we're taking names of anybody interested right up until Wednesday evening. Um, and, and to be fair, I suppose we're not going to turn anybody away after Wednesday if you do have an idea or want to be part of it. But it simply allows us to manage our logistics a little bit better, at least if we put some type of deadline um, on this. Brilliant. Siobhan, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. That is Siobhan Finn, who is National Hub Network Manager at the Community Enterprise Association Ireland's Network. Now, finally, this um, morning, the Ardu um, murals that are around Cork have become such a huge part of the Cork um, culture and fabric of society. And there will be another three new large-scale murals being painted over the coming days. Shane O'Driscoll, good morning. Good morning. How's it going, Shane? Have you got the details? Are we allowed to know where the where these murals are going to be, or is it all a kind of a, a surprise for when we see them? Nope, the secret's out there now. <laughs> uh, we just kind of released the details there today. I can't be keeping you in suspense for too much longer. Uh, so yeah, no, it is, it is all out there. It's all live, live and direct. So we'll be starting on Thursday. So you're starting on Thursday. Where are you going to be starting? Uh, down on um, South Terrace. So um, that would be our first wall there. And then there's also the other two walls then are on, um, geez, let me see now, sorry. We're in Sullivan's Key and then also on Pope's Key too. So we're kind of nicely spread around. Brilliant. And the three artists this year, are they new or were they part of the Ardu projects that we have had so far? They're all new. Uh, one of them has painted in Cork, I think, within the last year or so, but we decided to bring her back to go a bit bigger, uh, and that's Claire Provost. Um, she painted there just on Tucky Street there, behind the library, um, I think it was last summer. Uh, so she'll be painting on Pope's Key there, quite a large, large piece, I think probably her biggest one. So she's some nice kind of bold, minimal um, Cuba stud artwork. And then we've got Kitsune Jolene, who's coming over from Belgium, and that's nice I'm looking forward to as well. Really nice kind of figurative work. And that's going to be on Sullivan's Key. And what we're actually going to do there is actually be painting where Joe Castlin's piece is at the moment. Mm. So Joe's piece will be coming down. Um, that's kind of run its its time there as part of the Midsummer Festival. And Joe's kindly let us step in and um, reuse that space. So that's going to be a nice one as well. And then Vince 137, um, he kind of works in I suppose, a traditional kind of graffiti style. He'll be on South Terrace there, um, quite a nice long wall there, just by the, the traffic lights there across from the College Com. So looking forward to see that as well. So yeah, quite a nice, diverse kind of mix of styles again, which is what we always like to go for and very much looking forward to kicking it off. And we look forward to seeing them, Shane, because they're so colourful yeah. and have added something spectacular to Cork City. Now, we mentioned there about Culture Night being on Friday, the 23rd of September. That's this Friday. And our do are doing a number of events for that. We are, yep, yeah, that's it. Um, like we did, we've done a series of tours before, and they've always proved kind of really, really popular. It's nice for for the public to kind of get insight and just walk around with the artists and kind of learn a bit more. So, as mentioned there, yeah, we'll have a tour on Friday for Culture Night, and that's at half four. And then for those who can't make that, uh, we also have one on the Saturday as well, just because we love giving tours so much, <laughs> and that's at one o'clock. And um, then also, just I suppose, kind of round off the weekend, we're actually going to have a, a film screening on the Sunday in the roundy uh, of Style Wars, uh, which is quite kind of a, 
a prolific uh, graffiti um, documentary from geez, many, many moons ago mm. and tickets were available for that as well. And it's all up on our on our Instagram there through um, um, our page there and, and that they're all available through Eventbrite. Brilliant. So we look forward to seeing mm. the artwork and to all of those events that are happening this Friday. That's Shane O'Driscoll, our do co-organiser. Thank you so much, Shane, for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. And that's my lot for today. PJ will be back with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening and thanks to the team here, Fergal, Richard and Wayne. Enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.